step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. transformational show about life, laughter, and the pursuit of happiness, delivered by good people doing good business and good things. And I'm your host, Michelle Swinnick. We are your trustworthy resource for sharing personal stories and quality content conveyed with a hint of humor and a supersized side of sincerity. This is our signature segment, The Massey Memo, with our expert contributor, Robert Massey, attorney, solution provider, and protector of the people at Massey and Massey Attorneys at Law. Robert delivers the Massey Memo on the first and third Fridays of every month. His engaging and entertaining personality gives the boring law just the jolt it needs to make you want to tune in and learn to better play the hand you've been dealt in this game we call life. Enjoy the show. This is our expert contributor segment, the Massey Memo with Robert Massey, attorney, solution provider, and protector of the people at Massey and Massey Attorneys at Law. Robert will be delivering the Massey Memo on the first and third Fridays of every month. All of our episodes are listed on our website and patriotic, purpose-driven platform, everythinghometalkshow.com. Please check it out. Begin to use it as a resource to meet, learn from, and hire the experts, guests, professionals, and members of the Everything Home Socially Conscious Referral Network and Marketplace. They truly are good people doing good business and good things, people and companies you can trust to provide quality content and exceptional service. The Massey Memo has its own page on our website under the Expert Contributor tab, which includes every episode of Robert's and his information. And remember to click and subscribe on your favorite listening podcast platform. We're on 10 of them. So you never miss an episode of The Massey Memo and Everything Home. Today's topic is episode number 107. How exciting is that? Current events, court cases, and bankruptcies with people and companies you know. First my joke, then on with the show. And I just want to remind the listeners, I am wearing my glasses and the font is at 14 on my outline because I cannot read without either of those in place. So anyone that's... (laughs) And it's my, my PSA announcement. There's anyone feeling old, and if you're thinking you might need glasses, go ahead and go get them. So <laughs> here's the joke. <laughs> I'm just looking out for everybody, man. It's okay. I'm just looking out for you. <laughs> Two judges oh, were stumbling home from their local bar, arms around each other, and loudly singing show tunes. Judge one said, hey, I think we're drunk. Judge two said, you're right. And according to the law, I have to charge you with being drunk and disorderly, and you need to appear before me at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. The next morning in court, judge one pleaded guilty to the charge and was fined $10. They then switched places. Judge number one said, drunk and disorderly, huh? You're fined 20 bucks. Judge two number said, when I was in the chair, I only charged you $10. Judge one said, well, yes, but the offense is becoming way too common. You're the second drunk to appear before the court this morning. (laughs) 
it's well, it was it was funny, but not funny. I don't know these. Jo- I I laugh when I see these jokes. I have to alter them sometimes because uh, I have to modernize them. But I thought it was funny. It's kind of applicable on on some of the topics that we're going over today, where uh, you know, just when you think it's going to go one way, it's another. Sounds like sometimes people are a little bit biased in in how things turn out. So I kind of thought it was appropriate. And believe it or not, the only other things that when you Google searches for court or lawsuits, it's just really all the jokes are bad mouthing an attorney. So I was trying, I was being kind to you. <laughs> so I was I trying to find it. something bad against judges as opposed to your, your entire <laughs> industry. <laughs> I'm always looking out for you too, Mr. Roberts. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I, I'm proud of us. We're actually doing our first and third Fridays of the month, which we were off track yeah. for a little bit. So pat on the back for both of us. Right? Exactly. Like it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that we, hey, a little clapping. The audience. <laughs> <laughs> the audience is so happy that we're back on track. Well, then I know that they miss us when we're not there. Is there anything that you want to bring to the table on, on something exciting that's going on over at Massey and Massey Attorneys at Law or anything personally that can enlighten the, the conversation for the for the day? Yeah, you know, there's uh, nothing in particular that is certainly exciting. I mean, you know, a lot of stuff, uh, uh, a lot of the exciting things that happen in my office, um, fortunately, I should say, for my clients, definitely, I can't share because they're confidential. Um, but, uh, no, I think that we have a lot of interesting topics to get to. There seems to be a lot going on in just the uh, general public world and zeitgeist that uh, we can just dive right into it and talk about craziness that our world has become, that's for sure. Well, and I thought it was interesting because just this week alone, all the topics that we're going to bring up today, we're in the news. Either they, these, these court cases were filed, they're, they were just settled, or they're getting to the point where now the jury has the, uh, what do you call it when the jury's collaborating? What do you call that? What is that thing? Yeah, like they had, the jury has the thing, and now they're the ones in the juror room doing their jury thing. What is that called when they get that? Is there a name for them? The, um, the, uh, Deliberations. There you go. The jury deliberation. They go back to deliberation. So now they have the deliberation. So I'm glad that it took us an hour to figure that out. So um, (laughs) (laughs) maybe we should go talk about something else besides court and law today. (laughs) I mean, I can, I could just kind of give you a recap on some really cool TV shows that I watched this week. (laughs) Maybe that'd be a little bit more applicable based on our, our expert knowledge today. Oops. Sorry, guys. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I can, yeah. I can, uh, you know, I can give you one-liners from Will and Grace last night, but apparently can't come up with the there word deliberation, even though I have it written in front of me. I have it right here on my outline. <laughs> but anyway, hey, I'm a lawyer. I have no excuse. Yeah, well, yes. That's what I was gonna say. I'm like, I, I got, I can't help you out there, buddy. I mean, that's that's only there's only so much I can do. <laughs> oh man all right so let's get into some of these cases because some of it overlaps some of it talks about a bigger picture and of course anything that has to do with politics or trump 
emotions overcome facts and laws. I don't think that that's very helpful or positive, but then again, depending on where you're listening to your information or if you're getting it on Facebook or the craziness of Twitter, you know, people love to just rather than realizing what any of it all means. In general, as I I believe, and probably even for your industry, it's harmful because people aren't paying attention to how the law works or how things should go down. But we're not going to go long into each of these. They do kind of want to get through them, especially the ones towards the end, I think, are are more warranted for an overall social conversation. Uh, But Roger Jones, okay, that was a big one. 40-month sentence, there was the whole chaos beforehand where they were talking about nine to 10 years, but the precedent on the case apparently is really like between two and four, maybe two and five. He was accused of lying to Congress, witness tampering, obstruction of justice. Now they're talking about, did he have a fair trial? Because there seemed to be some bias with the judge based on what she's actually said. And the four person who is a four woman, which I think that's a new term they started using. She ran for Congress as a Democrat. She shouldn't even have necessarily been on the jury. Comment on some of those things. And then since you've been in the courtroom and you've picked jury, you picked jurors for jury duty. And of course, you know, my thoughts on jury mm-hmm. duty, throw it in the garbage. Um, you know, give your opinion on the strategies about the jury and how all of this is now coming to the surface where now they might be trying to get in a, either a retrial or however that works. Um, because it sounds like there was, there was some bias that was legitimate. Yeah. And I mean, look, when you're picking a jury, I mean, each side has their ideal candidates. Uh, now your ultimate ideal candidate is usually the ones that the other side is going to make sure that they use a challenge on or find some type of cause. Uh, so just so people understand kind of how a jury selection goes um, and different judges kind of work the, the actual process a different way. Um, and there's different preemptory challenges and different venues and things like that. But just for the overall kind of process and how it works, you have a group of people trying to get a jury of 12 or eight, whatever, you know, based off of the, uh, uh, whether it's criminal or civil. Um, and then there's always usually at least two alternates. So in the, the parties don't know who the alternates are during the, the trial. So if you're really having a jury of eight, you'll have 10 people in the box. Two of them will be alternates. Again, they don't know who the alternates are. Um, and then if you have a jury of 12, you'll have 14 in the box and two of those will be alternates. Um, so, but from the beginning, if you're trying to get a jury of eight or 12, you'll get maybe an initial batch of a hundred juror prospects. And they usually go, they either ask the questions in a group method or person by person and just go through and say, who are you? What industry do you work in? You know, what's your job? Well, what's your level of education? Do you feel that you can be unbiased and, just kind of use those kind of general probing questions um, to get to if they can dismiss anybody for cause. For example, if uh, you have you have a African American on trial and you got somebody in there and says, "I am hugely prejudiced against African Americans," then they can dismiss that person for cause. Or, oh, this person was connected to President Trump, and I've been a Democratic lobbyist for 
25 years and I can't be, un, you know, I can't be unbiased against this person. Okay. So you have your dismissals based off of cause and it has to be agreed to by both parties and the judge. If someone says something crazy and the judge thinks that they can be uh, kind of recuperated from that, then they won't dismiss them for cause. So once you get through your causal dismissals, then you go through your preemptory challenges based on the people that are left. And each side usually gets five preemptory challenges, at least in Nevada they do, it's four and one. Um, And they can cross off five people and – you know, you can try and object to those. You can try and object that based off of those challenges that they're trying to get a skewed jury, all that kind of stuff. So once you get through the causal challenges and the preemptory challenges, then you're left with it. But each side has their type of juror that they want to have. They want to, you know, in the Stone case, you know, the, the prosecutors would want Democrats. They would want people they know are liberal. They don't, you know, people that aren't pro-Trump in any way, and obviously for Roger Stone, he's going to want people that are Trump supporters, you know, basically, it's um, and, and people that don't have that left-leaning. And, you know, you try and get as close as you can, but again, you're only provided the information that they are giving you at that time. Um, and it is really, and I think in this case that this is the biggest problem, it is really the job of the judge uh, to make sure that it is as, mo- as high likelihood as possible that it is an unbiased proceeding. <clears throat> and the judge in this case was very far <laughs> from unbiased um, and you know, obviously had a very clear bias. And that's that's the difficulty. Look, I, like you said, I know stuff with Trump kind of heightens people's aggravation and it gets them very angry. But at the end of the day, if this was a this was a person that belonged to some type of protected class that was being tried for something and this type of bias came out, there would be an absolute uproar from the media. And the crazy part is, is this happens every day. This happens every day of the week where, you know, there is some type of bias that slips into these cases. And, you know, I mean, and it happened all the time back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, where, you know, Africans, Ameri- African Americans are being tried in the Deep South, and their attorney would try and get a change of venue because there's no way they could get a fair trial, and the judge would deny the change of venue. And then it's impossible to provide a fair trial because you know you're going to have 12 white people in the 60s in the Deep South judging an African American. That, that's not a fair trial. That happened all the time. And people. You know, at that time, you know, there, there were certain people that got into an uproar, but there wasn't just mass public uproar, and there still isn't, and it still happens. And if you're going to be upset and angry about that, which you absolutely should be, you you have to be upset and angry about this. Now, you have to put aside the fact that 
whatever your political feelings are about this guy, what he did, all this stuff. At the end of the day, if someone can't get a fair trial, that's not good for anybody. That's not good for anybody. And if we let all these different prejudices and bias come into the courtroom, it defeats the underlying purpose of the judicial system. You know, you can't, you can't allow that to happen. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they are granted a, a new trial because of the, you know, the judge's bias itself uh, alone is difficult, but I can promise you if, if the motion for a new trial is denied, they will likely, I don't even know if that's an appealable, I think it is, I'm pretty sure it's an appealable uh, motion. Um, it'll go to the Supreme, you know, they'll take it up to the Supreme Court for sure, at least try to. Um, so, you just, any other situation, there would be a massive uproar across all parties. Anybody would be saying, this is ridiculous. Um, so you got to, as the kids say, you got to keep that same energy, you know, <laughs> you, you, uh, you, you can't, you can't pick and choose who you want to have a fair trial, who you don't. Everybody's entitled to it. There was clearly prejudice here by the four person, by the judge. Um, and, and it's, it, it's difficult, you know, with the, like I said, with the jurors, it's that you're making the most educated, best guess you have based on the information that is put in front of you. That that is that's the the best way I can put jury selection is that you you have to just make the best guess you have based on your questioning, and it, you got to be very skilled at that to try and get to. Where you know where you need to go, but uh, it's it's tough. It, it definitely is tough. But in in this day and age, are the the list of jurors given to the prosecution of defense in advance so you can kind of do a rough idea on who? I mean, that's the way it is on TV. That's why I'm asking. All I know is TV and uh, in the movies and Law and Order and things like that. So they know in advance as they're trying to at least have a little bit of information about. The person, and especially now with social media, and even if somebody like this for, for a person who had run for Congress in the past, aren't they able to have access to that in advance so then they can have kind of their wish list and then definitely the ones that they don't want on there? And then also, once you go back and forth in the courtroom, is it final at that point? Do you have a 24 hour deal to go home and do research or whatever it is that your legal team can do to make sure that there isn't anything else that you're not finding out about these people? Because if they're only telling you what they think you want to hear or what they decide to disclose, how is that okay? Because then somebody like the four person wouldn't have been on the trial, not saying that that was the end all be all reason of where it ended up. I mean, the, the whole judge thing, I want to do, I want to comment on that after you give me your uh, insight on the actual, the jury selection, which I just doesn't, it doesn't make sense in this day and age that it's, 
relying on so what someone comes, says it, what they say and what that comes out of their mouth. So it depends. It, it depends in in certain trials. Uh, and again, I don't do criminal law. I do civil law. But in certain trials, if it's going to be um, a lengthy proceeding, or I'm assuming with criminal, if it's going to be something where they're concerned about being able to put together a group of people that truly can be unbiased, um, you know, the classic examples, O.J. Simpson, um, and they will send out what are called jury questionnaires. And in the civil world, those are more for cases that are going to be lengthy, you know, cases that may take a month or six weeks or months um, to basically get general information. If they have, if they have the ability to even serve on a jury that long, um, yeah, and just get general information about the people. That's the only time when there's a jury questionnaire. That is the only time that the attorneys will have um, information going in to the jury selection process. Now, the jury selection process, especially for big cases, takes time. I mean, it can take weeks. I forget exactly. I want to say the jury selection for O.J. Simpson took nine months. Don't oh, wow. quote me on that, but I think that I think it was something like I may be off, but I thought I heard it was nine months. I don't remember. I was I think I was eight years old when he was on trial, so I don't remember specifically. <laughs> That's right. Um, you're you're the baby. <laughs> I for, I keep but, forgetting. <laughs> it, you know, OJ OJ Simpson comes back into this conversation for the judge reason, which I'll get to in a second. But um, so that's the only time. But once you're in there and you start, you know, questioning people, getting their names, you'll, you'll get their information at that point. Um, can there be additional research done? Sure. You can't bring something into the judge and say, oh, judge, I, I don't know. I, I found out this, this woman does yoga. And I don't like people that do yoga. You know, you can't bring something like that in. But if you have good researchers and they can find something that would really point to their inability to be a an unbiased juror, certainly you can you can present that to the judge, and it's up to the judge to determine whether you know there is a basis for her removal or whether there's not a basis. But usually when you're going into the jury selection process, unless there's a questionnaire, you don't know anything. You don't know who's coming in that room. You have to get, you have to get that information. That's the whole purpose of, you know, the jury selection process is called voir dire. The, the questioning is called voir dire. Um, and you have to get to that through the voir dire process uh, and to try and, select the people you feel would be the best. And obviously, look, you're looking for an unbiased juror, but each side is looking for a biased juror. You know what I mean? Right. So that's right. why they're looking for someone that's going to be biased in their favor. That's their job. That's what they're doing. So, you know, 
the as much as and we've had this discussion, as big of a pain as the process is, and how there is certain circumstances you can look at um, and say, you know, this wasn't a non-biased jerk. I would argue that, uh, that for the most part, it's certainly not a perfect system, but for the most part, it works. You know, the judge I worked for always used to say, it amazes me the uh, how an eight or 12 person group of people can come together as a jury and for a large, large majority of the time really come to a very fair and reasonable decision. I mean, it, the system in that way, it does work to a certain degree, but look, like I said, it's certainly not perfect. And there's certainly plenty of examples of people being biased, but, and judges being biased. And again, like I was saying, OJ Simpson, when OJ Simpson got tried here for in Vegas for kidnapping, um, there was a lot of people that said that that judge was biased against him. That judge, the deliberation was occurring. And again, my, I'm doing this from memory. I don't know off the top of my head if this is correct, but I don't know the year wise. I believe it was occurring on the 10 or 15 year anniversary of OJ's acquittal from, on, from the murder charge. It was happening on that day. And the judge wanted the jury's decision to come out that day. And so kept the jury there until about midnight and made them finish their deliberations, which is not, not something you should do. Um, if the jury says, I want to go home, the judge has to say, okay, for the night, and we'll come back tomorrow and keep deliberating. So there, you know, there was some, at least, I don't, again, I don't know any of this firsthand, but there certainly were rumblings about the bias there. There was rumblings about the bias in the sentencing. He got 33 years um, for what was not kidnapping. Sure, should he have gotten in trouble for what he did here in Vegas with the memorabilia? Absolutely, but the the sentence in that case was far above what the crime called for. Um, it was just felt he was being sentenced because he got off for murder, and everybody thinks he he killed somebody. So, but well, two people again. <laughs> two people. Two, two people. Excuse me. Yeah, two people. Two. But I only bring that up in contrast because you didn't hear much about that. People weren't up in arms about that. No, because they agree with it. Con- they yeah, the general consensus is, yeah, they don't like they don't like O.J. Simpson. They don't care if he goes to jail. And look, I'm not saying I like him. I I, I agreed. I thought he should go to jail too. But that's where it's a it's a slippery slope. You got to be careful of that because you can't pick and choose who gets a fair trial or who gets a fair sentencing because it, it, it undermines the system. It really does. Yeah, and I, 
I think that's the most important information as a takeaway from what's going on with this particular case is people need to take their, their emotions out of it and which side that they prefer and which side that they want to support and look at the real facts, because it's just a matter of when it's going to be flipped in the other direction where now all of a sudden your side's getting the short end of the stick, or maybe it happens to you. And as far as the judge, this is, I'm sure there's more information that's going to be coming out, but she actually said this out loud. She said, Stone was not prosecuted for standing up for the president. He was prosecuted for covering up for the president. I mean, that's just, that's her opinion. That's not what he was charged with. And that's not necessarily even fact. So once you have somebody in a capacity where they're supposed to be neutral or indifferent, and they're going to be administering uh, the direction of how it goes, especially, you know, if when something's objecting or when it's overruled or sustained, I mean, there's a lot of, yes, you're, I'm sure there's certain things that are certain criteria that are to be met, but it's still, if there is, if you don't like the, the, the defendant or you don't like the prosecutor or whichever side or the attorney, I mean, you're going to lean in that direction and that's not supposed to happen. And you know, you want to make sure your judge is as neutral as you can be. And then as far as what else she did is, she had a gag order on Stone throughout the case. Well, now that it's finished, she still has that against him, which from what I understand and what I've heard on the commentaries from attorneys, is that is really a, a rejection of his First Amendment right because he has the right to be able to speak and talk and, and talk about what's going on with him. And the other thing, and I want you to comment on this, and also, what are the checks and balances to make sure that somebody in the judge's capacity doesn't have a bias in certain cases? She's the one that decides whether to grant the defense's motion for a new trial over the whole claims of the juror bias in the first place. So wait a second. So that's like the <laughs> it's like the wolf guard in the hen house, right? So she's in charge of the decision as to whether it gets a new case. She's part of the bias. And then hers bias is on the side of where the, the foreman is for the jury. So what, how does that make any sense? And where is the checks and balances for making sure that the judge in, in cases is the right person for that position based on the entire prosecution and the defense and what the case is about and who's involved. Is there any of that or is it just hook? that whole system sounds like it's a little on the corrupt side too. Well, yeah, I mean, um, federal judgeships are lifetime appointments. So believe, um, oh yeah, this was on the court. Mm. But to answer your question, the checks and balances come from the appeals process. So um, if she would deny the motion for a new trial and the attorneys feel that there is that decision was given incorrectly and based on her bias, et cetera, then they go through the appeals process and go through up through the appeals court and potentially even go up through the Supreme court. So that that's where the checks and balances come in where it drags the process out. Certainly um, but it does allow different eyes to 
to look at it and say, okay, was this decision made for the correct reasons or not, or was there a basis for the decision to go the other way, et cetera. You know, that is essentially um, the entire purpose of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court can only <coughs> take on God, this is, I don't even remember the two types. I'm sorry, but um, the Supreme Court can only take on, I believe, two types of cases directly, and uh, they're very obscure types of cases. I want to say one of them is like maritime cases. I, I forget the two types. But this, everything coming to the Supreme Court, for the most part, a large percentage, over 90%, um, comes up through an appeal process, whether it starts in state and then goes to federal and then goes to the Supreme Court or starts in state and goes to the state Supreme Court and then they try to appeal the, you know, and the Supreme Court has to review all their, they're called uh, petitions for Satori and there has to be approved. And that means the, the Supreme Court will hear that case. It will hear that appeal essentially and review everything and say, okay, this decision is affirmed, this decision is overturned, overturned in part, or this, this decision is uh, sent back to the, the proceeding court for further proceedings before we can make a decision on it. See, it so it, all those different things are in place. So that's really the checks and balances of what's going on here to where, yeah, she can, she can certainly, right now she is the presiding judge. There is a process for having to be able to appeal. There are certain steps you would want to take. And I think these jury, these attorneys are doing the right thing and saying, okay, well, let's not appeal the verdict itself. Let's move for a new trial, see what she does based on our suspicions of bias. If she rejects that, then let's appeal that. Let's appeal the decision for a new trial. And I'm, I'm almost positive that is an appealable motion. But I believe that's what they're doing. And I think that's, that's a good way to go because it gets them what they want. They want a new trial. They want the new trial. Because on an appeal, on an appeal, there, the appeal is usually what's called de novo. Um, and what that means is, is there's no new facts presented. It's essentially the court, a new court, looking at the exact same set of facts, the exact same arguments, and saying, was the correct decision made? Was there, was there an abuse of discretion by the jury, the judge? But was the totality of everything looked at, was the correct decision made? And so that's kind of how that that process goes um, in general. So there is checks and balances. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I, I understand from the outside saying, oh, well, this is a biased judge. And, well, she's the one that's going to decide if there's a new trial. That doesn't make any sense. But right now she's the presiding judge. There's nobody else to decide that. Well, and the thing to keep in mind, and this is with any court case, and any any proceedings that when someone wants to file and you run into obstacles like this, and you and I have talked about it before, 
the attorney's fees just keep going and going and going. So now let's just say that they go to get this uh, to go to another court case for another hearing. Then look at look how much look look at all the extra money that's being spent. And at the end of the day, you maybe Roger Stone's gonna get it from somebody else, or let's just say it wasn't him; it was just a regular person. And you know, like look at like Michael Flynn and look at uh, what's his name, uh, Carter Page. I mean, <laughs> those guys are basically bankrupt, and uh, they've they they've lost a lot, and and just trying to protect themselves because there was bias where things had kept going on and on and on. So at the end of the day, I mean, something like this, whether it's the judge or the four person, you know, like I said, take Roger Stone out and put somebody else in. What, what if you can't continue to defend yourself because you don't have the money, but you know that you were, you're not in the wrong. So, I mean, it's, it, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, we when can go on and on about it, but that's just what I think is yeah. just insane because the, the average person who is not looking at the, the ramifications and what can be caused by this type of a situation, if it was them, they wouldn't, most people wouldn't be able to keep lasting that long because it's expensive. And what are you supposed to do? Then you're like, all right, fine. I did it, whatever. Just end it because I can't afford to keep fighting. So like you said, there's a bigger pitch attached to all this. Hmm. Where's the outrage for that? Right. Where's the outrage? Hashtag outrage. Well, you know, so the, when people can't afford the, I mean, that's a whole other discussion in the, on the criminal side because, you know, you can have a public defender or you can get a private attorney. So if you can't afford an attorney, you get a public Well, attorney. I'm saying like an average person who could afford it in the beginning and then all of a sudden this thing keeps lingering, lingering, lingering. And you know what I mean? It's just, it's just if those are the other parts that go into uh, the whole legal process that m- could have maybe not gone as far if there was not these bias issues that continued to let it, let it linger. So that's, that's all. If it was just, it was more fairness or if there was more checks and balances, which I don't know, you look at it differently because you're the attorney, you're on the inside. I'm looking at it from the outside saying it just seems like some of this sh- shouldn't happen. Um, but I guess oh, that's right. the, system we, the system we, the system we're in, you know, but no, I absolutely agree. There's definitely yeah. improvements to make. Yeah. So I just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's on to the next. So the uh, let's. I want to talk a little bit about Mr. Harvey Weinstein only because this week the jurors, and here it is, began deliberating on Tuesday. And for something that you would think has been all over, and I know they're not supposed to watch the news, but for years this is, you know, he was the first Me Too uh, casualty and the first one where it was them somewhat of really big recognition that came into the into the spotlight and today's Friday so it kind of seems like there's should it should have been a little bit easier to to come up with a verdict by now or at least I mean that's kind of a lot of time knowing that you think that he is guilty I mean I don't know though that they're only focusing on three different women amongst this very long list because it has to do with certain incidences and then the New York system versus where all the other incidences happened. And, but I know that the no police officers or detectives gave any testimony, which is what the commentators were saying is just very unheard of in a case like this. So is it kind of odd that 
it's taking this long for something that you would think should be, I don't want to say slam dunk, but it seems like it, it should have been a little bit, or maybe they, maybe they put the prosecution, put a, a bad case together, just like when they were doing the OJ, there was a lot of things that they shouldn't have done or things that they did. And you're going, you guys had all this material. How did you not make it more slam dunk or right? Isn't that, or that's not how any of this works. And I'm just watching too many Law and Orders and movies. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to jury deliberation, you honestly uh, you honestly cannot predict. I, I mean, look, there's certainly uh, it's difficult to predict anything from the amount of time that the jury deliberates especially without being the attorneys, uh, without, you know, kind of hearing all the testimony, seeing all the exhibits, knowing exactly what, uh, what happened. I'm sure once they both closed the cases and made their closing arguments, I both, I'm sure they both had an opinion as to what a short deliberation versus a long deliberation meant for them. But it's difficult to make that, um, without kind of seeing everything. But the difficulty in, in certain cases is, you know, for example, I, I'll just use a different example right now other than Harvey Weinstein. But, you know, if you have somebody convicted uh, or charged, excuse me, uh, with killing someone, well, there's several different, levels to that first degree murder second degree murder involuntary manslaughter and all those things that the jury has to go through and most of the time at least there's not lawyers on the on the jury and you know not that they're the people on the juries are not there's of course they're intelligent people on these juries and do all other sorts of jobs and like lawyers possess some you know crazy intelligence that other people don't. In fact, it may, it may be the opposite to tell you the truth. But, <laughs> uh, um, but you know, there, you have to, for every charge, there are elements to that charge that have to be met in order for someone to be found guilty or liable for them. So it is kind of a trudging through the elements of those causes of, uh, uh, of the different causes of action or charges. Like, for example, I think they asked for an explanation of the, on the charges in legal terms, uh, consent and forcible compulsion. And that shows me that based on what he was charged with, some of the elements of those crimes, you had to prove that it was something was not consented to. So it is incumbent upon the attorney when they're presenting the, their case to always be referring back to the elements of the charge or cause of action to make sure they are systematically going element by element and proving what they need to prove on those different elements that make up that crime. Because it is, and I don't know, again, I'm not a criminal guy, so... I don't know if there's different degrees to what he has been charged with, uh, with the sexual assault. But so basically in a roundabout way, what I'm saying is, is that 
the jury goes into this room and then has to compile all of this information and go step-by-step through these elements and say, okay, does that, you know, do do we think this has been met? Do we think this has been met? Do we think this has been met? And based on the burden of proof, does everybody think he's guilty on this? Yes or no? And what you, you know, you you may have a juror that doesn't think so. You may, you you know, you may have to keep going through it. So, you know, for, for a high profile case like this, uh, three days, and, and the amount of information that was probably thrown at them, and you want to talk about difficulty in getting an unbiased jury, I mm-hmm. mean, this was certainly one, because I, I don't know too many people that, that that don't think Harvey Weinstein is a complete piece of garbage. So, um, you know, so I think that kind of contributes uh, to the length of time. But, no, I mean, the fact that they started deliberating on Tuesday and it's Friday – and there hasn't been a decision. I don't think that's the. I don't. It doesn't really say anything one way or another. I'm sure it gives uh, prosecutors a little bit of heartburn because I'm sure they thought, "Oh, this is in the back." Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it. it uh, I don't. I don't think it points to anything. You now, if it goes on for another few weeks. You got to be saying to yourself, okay, there's at that point, there's probably one or two holdouts uh, that just aren't going guilty, or there is just a fundamental disagreement on certain charges as to whether something has been proven or not. Because um, again, you prove something through proving the elements of it. You know, hmm. you don't you don't prove murder by somebody being dead you know you you prove if you're proven first degree murder you got to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that there was premeditation malice and forethought all that stuff and that this person killed so you know there's the elements to it and with the oj thing back to his criminal trial i think their biggest thing there was there was reasonable doubt on certain of the elements there was reasonable doubt as to, you know, that if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Like <laughs> that was well before the hashtag world, but they did a great job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Interesting to see what happens in that one. But I mean, that guy's—he's going to be in court until he's dead. Yeah, I mean, there, there's many more things coming, so maybe this will just be the icing on the cake, set a little precedent. But I, one question before we jump into the two other topics. You had mentioned the jurors were either, there's eight or 12. Is there a reason why they didn't make it an odd number? So then that way you would have, a, I don't want to say a verdict, but you would have a decision because there's always going to be more on one side than the other, or is it purposely done that way so that you have to sway someone from one of the sides so that way they maybe relook at information or they kind of rejustify their thought process so then it's another layer of making sure that the decision of the group was correct. Is there a reason for that? 
Well, in um, in criminal trials, the juries have to be unanimous. It has to be unanimous for. Oh, that. there you go. Okay. So in uh, in civil trials, there's you have to reach a majority, but in criminal trials, it has to be unanimous decision. Hmm. So right, well, to answer your question, you know, they, when it has to be unanimous, I guess it doesn't matter even on. Right. Oh, then that is the that is the perfect answer. Very short, sweet, and completely factual. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> now, I I I wanted to bring up the, the companies and the nonprofit bankruptcy just because both of them were in the news this week, and bankruptcies are dealing with business law, which is something that you practice in, uh, and it's something that most people have a misconception of what bankruptcy is. So bankruptcy actually is what it does is it forces the debtor, which is the the company or the nonprofit to evaluate its assets and uses them to try to pay off its liabilities in the best interest of its creditors while attempting to stay afloat in essence is designed to give organizations and companies a chance to start over. So with that being said, peer one filed for bankruptcy this week in major store, they're talking about a. They're talking about looking for someone to purchase whatever stores that they decide to keep open, um, amongst other things. And the Boy Scouts, a nonprofit organization, also filed for bankruptcy. Which, ironically, February 8th they celebrated their 110th anniversary, but they filed for bankruptcy because of all these sexual abuse cases. So two totally different entities two totally different reasons why bankruptcy is filed, two that everyone is very familiar with. So I thought that would have a little bit interesting discussion. So comment on the bankruptcy from Pier 1 from a business standpoint, and then let's talk a little bit about the Boy Scouts and what potentially how disastrous that can be based on the fact that it has nothing to do with income and debts. It's about the the court cases and the victims' compensation trusts, and that's all the lawsuits that are coming towards that. So from a business standpoint on both, Mr. Business Legal Attorney, the floor is yours, sir. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've done a little bit of bankruptcy. I haven't done a ton. I've certainly done a lot of business stuff. Business bankruptcy is very different than personal bankruptcy. Uh, business bankruptcy can I mean, you can actually file a Chapter Seven bankruptcy as a business as an entity uh, if you qualify to under Chapter Seven, which very few businesses do. Uh, but in a personal Chapter Seven bankruptcy, if you apply for one, it discharges all of your debts in their entirety without you having to pay a dime to anyone. Now, obviously, it very much hurts your credit, and there's other consequences to it, but in a personal Chapter 7, uh, you don't have to pay anyone. Now, Pier 1 is not a Chapter 7. I'm imagining it's likely a Chapter 13, uh, which is a reorganization, or maybe a Chapter 11. Uh, it's a reorganization where these debts, they, you know, they filed a bankruptcy, the people holding debts, against the company will file what's called a creditor's claim within the bankruptcy. Those get negotiated and paid from the liquidation of the business. Um, 
and it goes from there. And, you know, if it can be adversarial proceedings in a bankruptcy. It's It can get very, very, uh, very in-depth. Uh, but a lot of times it's a it's a good business decision if you're just looking if you're not it, it, businesses get pushed pushed to the point where okay we can't do this anymore we're gonna file bankruptcy liquidate the business pay the debtors we can and move on with our lives and do something new close it down and be done and a chapter thirteen is more of a restructuring where okay we're gonna file bankruptcy we're gonna you know, take that hit as a business, pay off what we can through bankruptcy, and then try and restructure under the, the supervision of the courts uh, to keep going in some type of capacity. Uh, so it, it really is a business decision. I mean, I think you heard a lot about bankruptcies in the context of Trump and how he, that got thrown at him, but in a lot of times it's a good business decision to just cut your losses and and file bankruptcy and, and get done with it and move on. So the the, uh, the business bankruptcies are, are somewhat different. And I'm imagining, I believe, Pier 1's the liquidation. Uh, and it, it just allows, you know, you're not going to get sued by creditors constantly and let's just cut our losses and, and get out of here and be done with it. Now, the Boy Scouts is obviously different um, and uh, has to, because they're a nonprofit agency. They're a nonprofit corporation. Um, And in a nonprofit corporation, a debtor uh, or a creditor cannot force a nonprofit into bankruptcy where a creditor of a business that's holding the amount owed and is demanding payment or is going to sue can force that person into bankruptcy, essentially. And a nonprofit, it has to, it, the, the decision lies entirely with the board of directors uh, to file a bankruptcy. And I believe it happens under Chapter 7 for, um, uh, for nonprofits. Um, and you know, this was a PR decision by the Boy Scouts, uh, for sure, because it's, okay, what are we going to do here? Are we going to keep paying out settlements, keep paying for attorneys, keep it going, keep it going for years and years and years, or are we going to try and bring an end to our shame and embarrassment for just atrocious things, uh, try and set up some type of victim's compensation fund, which will, which does limit more the amount that individuals could get than from taking individual lawsuits and continuing to file them against the Boy Scouts. Uh, you know that's what that's what they do, and it's uh, a perfect example uh, that doesn't. Uh, you know, it is uh, a, a big case here in Vegas that's recently came to a settlement. Is the M 
MGM shooting case. Uh, and they decided to take a settlement upon, you know, all the, essentially all everybody joined together and they came to a group settlement. Now, <clears throat> certain of those individuals could have potentially gotten a lot more money by just carrying on their own case and continuing their own case. Now, there's certainly risks with that as well. Certainly were in the case of the MG or the Mandalay Bay shooting. Um, but it will, it, it can limit that. But there, you know, there, there's pros and cons to doing it this way, doing it through a full lawsuit. But now that they're in bankruptcy, it, it protects them essentially, again, from any more individual lawsuits against them. <clears throat> Excuse me, because once a company or a person is in bankruptcy, you cannot. You can sue them, but the action will be stayed until the bankruptcy has been discharged in its entirety. Um, and, you know, I'm certainly uh, these poor families and children that were affected by the Boy Scouts uh, certainly are not just looking for money in any sense. And I in no way want to sound like I'm saying that, but suing a bankrupt company or a bankrupt individual, uh, it makes sense that it stayed. There's no, there's nothing to get on the civil side. All you're getting is a civil judgment. Um, so it's, you know, I hate to keep going back to, uh, O.J. Simpson, but ask the Goldmans how much money they've gotten from O.J. Simpson. Yeah, and but it's, it's nothing. Nothing. Yeah, they, so it's, you know, that's where civilly it, it, it gets a little different. So it's... So in essence, by the know, Boy Scouts filing the bankruptcy, knowing that they have a certain amount of claims uh, already in process where what I read, there was so far between 2017 and 19, they've already paid $150 million in settlements and legal fees. And then once they filed the bankruptcy, anyone else who will be coming forward, then they're going to put them almost, they become in a different classification where that will, that's probably why they're setting up this victim's compensation trust because those people aren't going to be, uh, let's just say that they have a lot of assets, aren't entitled to getting any of the same assets that the original people were, were trying to get some sort of compensation because of when they filed. So that, that is the differentiation there. So it's almost like they stopped the, ble- the bleeding um, and then the people that filed afterwards um, get put in a different class. And what I thought was interesting was when I Googled the Boy Scouts bankruptcy, you know, Google has the, each of them a little listing and you click on it. The top four were ads from attorneys. So mm-hmm. not, not saying that you, you attorneys are bad people because there's a lot of good ones, but there's also a lot of ambulance chasers and everything else. But I just thought it was a little bit, oh, I don't know. I'm going to say ethical, but it was just a little out of place that the first four listings were talking about the attorneys 
trying to capitalize and make money off of potential victims before even an article came up about the whole bankruptcy and the Boy Scouts or even mentioning, you know, where this all came from and things like that. It was boom, 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 law firms come talk to us so we can get you some money. But that's common now. I mean, I understand that there's a market there, right? And you have victims, but it was almost like it was a little too much to see that. (laughs) You know, like, come on, guys, the body's not even warm and they're already in the pockets trying to take out the last quarter before they move the guy off the scene. You know what I mean? Yeah, anytime there's a big, uh, there's a big, situation like this, we're always going to see advertisements and call this number if you feel you have a potential case. And that's just become common practice in, in our world. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of is what it is yeah. at that point when it comes to that. Yeah, it didn't, uh, didn't sit well when I saw that this morning. But I do want to bring attention to the fact that According to what else did I my due diligence and spectacular research produced today, um, the Boy Scouts believe that there are more than 7,800 former leaders were involved in these sexual abuse cases. That's 7,800. But the thing that I thought was even worse was not to mention there's 12,000 that they're estimating of children that were abused which I have a feeling it's probably much more, but this has been going on for 72 years. So as you and I briefly talked about before we went on the air, of course, in the article, it talked about the USA gymnastics and there was 500 victims there. And that had been going on for decades. And then of course the good old Catholic church diocese, And that's been going on for, I don't know, 50, 60 years. But it's just, it's interesting how all of this is now coming out over the past couple years. The Boy Scouts, you would think this should have come out a long time ago, considering it's been going on for 72 years. But, you know, I don't want to, I don't, it's not bad mouthing, but it's not bashing Robert Day, but what's the common denominator in all of these? Robert? (laughs) Who? Who's the problem? Who's causing the problem in all of these situations? It's got to be some sort of pattern. It's got to be something that maybe we can, I don't know how you solve it, but you've got men, not like I'm not bashing men, but you've got men in some sort of a leadership role and they are doing things to little boys and little girls, primarily little boys. And it just makes you go, how... What? You know what I mean? It's just, is it, is it a psycho, it's a psych, psychic thing, psych thing, or is it a socio thing or like socio, not sociopath, but socio, sociology versus psychology versus do they gravitate to these positions? Cause they know that that's the low hanging fruit. I mean, it's just, is any organization safe, but then it gives a bad mouth to the guys that actually do help kids. You know what I mean? It's, you're like, Oh, if I had kids, I, I'm sure I wouldn't necessarily would want them to go, you know, to, to a certain group or an organization. I'm like, oh, great, the coach is a pedophile. You know what I mean? You don't want to think that way, but it keeps coming up over and over again. So what's going on with you men? What are you, what are you guys doing? What, 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 
What's wrong? Go get a girlfriend. Leave the little boy alone. (laughs) Go get a girlfriend. Let's not group us all together (laughs) here. First of all, Uh, um, I mean, it's it's sickening. There's no other way to put it. It's sickening. And I think, you know, uh, I, I... I would have to be a little suspect about any man that wants to be a Boy Scout leader. Even before knowing all this, I would say, what the, why do you want to go out in the woods with a bunch of little boys? That was, <laughs> right. like I'm, I'm, I don't mean to I'm laugh, laugh, but if you put it that way. I'm suspect uh, of mall Santa's too. Yeah. Why, why, well, yeah, why, that's why, another why. one. You know, it's like, yeah. then, you know, is it okay that your parents put you on the lap of a dirty old man stranger that you don't know who he is? And you're like, oh, go sit on that man's lap. But then again, you're telling kids don't talk to strangers, <laughs> right? And don't take candy from a stranger, but it's okay to take Santa's candy cane and sit on his lap. Like, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are we doing? There's just. Unfortunately, a lot of, it's just, there's a lot of sick people in the world. That's all I can say. There's definitely a lot of men that are doing it. Catholic church-wise, Boy Scouts been going on 72 years. I mean, Catholic church has probably been going on for hundreds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Forever (laughs) in the Catholic church. And the reason, you know, these other things, maybe have not come to the, the surface in years past is because, I mean, just think about the last 40 years. How much, high, how much harder is it to conceal even general information, let alone, you know, a, a, a rotting core at the, at the center of, a, of an organization like this that is just overlooking such horrendous actions um, it's just impossible to hide it nowadays. It still happens, don't get me wrong. We certainly don't know about all the evil deeds that these pieces of garbage do in several organizations, but it's certainly a lot harder to do so. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, I, I can't... Uh, men suck. Is that what you want me to say? <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting. Exactly. Hey, there you go. That's exactly what I was <laughs> I was going for. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, perfect. Okay, so then well, I I won that one. Yay! All right. So <laughs> the upside of having things more out into the public and social media where people can exchange information when it's for good, that is the upside. That is the positive thing uh, about being able to have a uh, access like that. So you can expose bad things or let people know um, when it's something that, that should, they should support or stand behind, you know, the, the, the chaos and the stupidity and the, and the just vile things that people put out there. That's, that's the bad side, but something like this, maybe that is part of like you mentioned, the reason why it's becoming more known because you can't hide certain things anymore that should never have happened. So that is the Absolutely. the pro to the social media and the con. Well, I mean, just click on one thing and you can see that. Again, people <laughs> suck. Men are bad and <laughs> girls wrong. Yeah. <laughs> what, 
It reminds me of a little, um, I don't know, what do they call memes? It's a meme, not the one that moves. It's the meme, I guess. It's just really technically what it is. It's like a picture and somebody stuck words on it. And then they had to call it something. And I remember I saw it years ago and it's this little cartoon character. And it's this girl throwing a rock at this boy. And she goes, boys are stupid. Throw rocks at them. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just pile it on. <laughs> I don't got much to, you know, to to work with, but, I, you know, when I can take the little jabs, I, I need to do it. All right. I think that was some really good, interesting information. We allowed everyone to have a little bit of entertainment in there and maybe learn something. I learned a couple of things about the uh, jury system and the legal system. And maybe these are things that if I had gone to, jury duty i might have learned that actually in the courtroom perhaps right see? you see that <laughs> still not gonna go still not still not gonna go i'm not gonna do it not gonna do it not gonna do it <laughs> oh. Oy vey. all right any any parting words before we let everyone go back to doing whatever that they do before they come and listen to our phenomenal show? Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, yeah, I mean, I as we discussed today, a little bit of business law. That's certainly one of my main areas of practice. My main area of practice is personal injury law, car accidents, wrongful death, uh, slip and falls, um, and uh, real estate law, wills, trusts, probate. And so if you need any of those services, get an accident, anything for your business, real estate, or will stress your estate, give me a call, 702-870-1100 or MasseyMarcy.com. And then keep in mind all the Robert shows, everything about the Massey Memo, his contact information is on our website, everythinghometalkshow.com. Swinnick and Massey out! Another great episode with my good friend, Robert Massey. Robert will be delivering the Massey Memo on the first and third Fridays of every month. All of our guests and experts' information in their shows are listed on our website, everythinghometalkshow.com. We encourage you to check it out and begin to use it as a resource to meet, hire, and learn from good people doing good business and good things. Just click anywhere on their banners and enjoy the show. You can also listen and subscribe to Everything Home on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and Blog Talk Radio. We're making it very easy and convenient for you to listen to us and enhance the quality of your life. And remember to like and follow Everything Home Talk Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And feel free to send us an email or message on which topics you want to hear about and which guests you want to learn from. I appreciate you listening. Make it a great day, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.